And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. We're honored today to have Justice Alan Page as our guest mentor. Justice Page was the first African-American to serve on the Minnesota State Supreme Court. He was also named the 1971 MVP for the National Football League and is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and College Football Hall of Fame. He played on the University of Notre Dame's 1966 National Championship team, and he's also the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Michael McCoy, another Notre Dame standout who played for the Green Bay Packers, will join me later in the show. Both of these standouts are investing their time today in the future of our country with a focus on students and education. So let's get started. Welcome, Justice Page. It's an honor to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So let's get started. First, talk a little bit about your background and what people can learn from that. What was the most you grew up in Canton, Ohio. What was the big takeaway from growing up in Canton, Ohio? Well, for me, uh, growing up in the 1950s, uh, when large portions of our country were subject to state-sponsored segregation, um, for me, it was the, the message that I got from my parents that Education uh, was a tool that anyone could use, A, to achieve their hopes and dreams, but B, to uh, to some degree mitigate the effects of racial discrimination. And then, fortunate for you and fortunate for me, we ended up at Notre Dame. Well, um I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to obtain an athletic scholarship to Notre Dame um, and played football there. Um, Spent long segments of time uh, learning learning about life, not only, you know, the material that they teach you, but learning about life and um, was able to graduate, get drafted by the um, Minnesota Vikings and came here to play professional football. Was sidetracked from my, at least from what I thought was going to be what I hoped when I was a child, what my life would be, and that was the law. I got distracted and sidetracked for a while, but eventually got back to that. Um, Indeed, I'm a law school graduate. I'm also a law school dropout. I enrolled at um, my second year with the Vikings. I enrolled at a night school here 
what was an aid school then, William Mitchell College of Law, and uh, lasted about three weeks. Was in over my head, didn't understand the process. Uh, figured I was the dummy in the class, when in fact, everybody else was in the same boat that I was in. Um, but eventually uh, was able to get back to law school, the University of Minnesota graduated and started practicing law uh, during the off seasons. This was, I graduated from the University of Minnesota in 1978, having started uh, in 1975. And it's actually the last three years of my time with the Minnesota Vikings and ended up in Chicago for another three and a half years and then started practicing law full time. And you started practicing law in Minnesota, right? That's correct. That's correct. Um, and, you know, along the way, I, taking an assessment of my skills and my abilities and my interests, I came to the conclusion that what appellate court judges do really fit me as a person, as I say, my skills and abilities and interests. I had never really thought about um, being a judge, but once I sort of figured out what the law is about, I came to the conclusion that I maybe had something to contribute along those lines and eventually was fortunate enough to be elected to the Minnesota Supreme Court. What was it like? Uh, I'm curious. Uh, we all know politicians and election cycles. What is it like when you're uh, the election cycle for a justice? You know, it's really challenging um, because most important, the most important thing that judges have is the ability to be impartial. And when you're seeking election, it's very easy to uh, fall into the trap of making promises, uh, um, leading people to think that you're going to vote or rule in a specific way. And uh, so for me, the challenge was um, making sure that I didn't say anything or do anything, which would give the voters the impression that I was going to um, be partial in any way. And um, I think, I like to think that I was able to do that. Um, you know, history will, will answer that question, but uh, I like to think that I was able to do that. Well, you must have done a good job because you were reelected twice and served three terms until you retired. I, I'm curious, was, I know you play the tuba. At least I've seen this. Did I that make, help at all? Did that I help make, at all? I make noise with the tuba. And actually, <laughs> it's a sousaphone. Oh, it's I, a sousaphone. I make noise with it. I wouldn't, unless using the term really loosely, I wouldn't say that I play it. Now, did Father Wishkirshkin at Notre Dame get you started on that or not? No, I actually, as an eighth grader, actually a junior high school student, I was in the junior high band. 
And uh, oh. because of my size and because of the size of the sousaphone, I was able to carry it. So um, that was the instrument I ended up playing. Well, if anyone's interested, you can go on YouTube and find him playing the sousaphone. So I'll give everyone a tip. So we're going to we're out a minute out of time for this segment. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, retired Minnesota State Supreme Court Associate Justice and former NFL great Alan Page. If you've missed a show in the past, you can go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on list of shows to hear past shows and our many great guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Minnesota State Supreme Court Justice and National Football League Hall of Famer, Alan Page. We're talking about the future of America and the importance of a good education for all. Remember, you can also listen to the show or previous shows via podcast on all popular podcast platforms. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. Uh, before we go into, and I really want to spend a lot of time on the Page Foundation, but real quick, because I think most of my listeners would like to know, after your career in the NFL, now that you're years down the road and you look back on it, what is the big positive takeaway uh, from the time you spent in pro football? Oh, you know, for me, uh, when I look back, and I don't do it that often, but for me, it was about the people, the people that I met, the people that I worked with, the people that I got to know along the way. That was, that's at the end of the day, that's what is important to me. That's great. And you worked, uh, you played for uh, Parsegian at Notre Dame. Era Parsegian at Notre Dame, Bud Grant uh, with the Vikings and um, my, my old age is catching up with me. Neil Armstrong with the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears. And uh, any, I don't want to pick on anyone but was there anyone in particular that had a big a bigger role in terms of your development well i think um i i guess i would say uh era parsegian and i i would say that not so much um well let me just put it this way he had a in terms of my football life and actually overall life, he had sort of a life altering impact. And the reason is, you know, as a football player, fresh out of um, Canton, Ohio, you know, you play the game because you love it and because it's fun. That at least for me, I hadn't thought about it hadn't give any thought to anything deeper than having fun. And as it turns out, in our first team meeting when Eric came to uh, Notre Dame my sophomore year, he sat the team down and, you know, said, we're going to talk about my football philosophy. And it never occurred to me that there was some philosophy to football other than, you know, throwing your body around and hitting people. And he said, you know, football is really a simple game. And if you do two things, you're going to be successful. And those two things he mentioned were uh, 
um, maintain field position and possession of the football. And in those two simple ideas, it opened a whole new world to me. You know, it was more than just throwing your body around. What, what are the things that you need to do to maintain field position and possession? And when you think about almost everything we do, what are the key things that you can build on to achieve whatever the goal is? Well, in football, it, 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 two simple things. Maintain the football and maintain field position. And, and I'm curious, do you bring that concept into the Page Foundation? I think it's in, in everything that I have done since then. You know, you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to be uh, the biggest or brightest. You have to understand what the goal is and what are the steps that you need to take to accomplish it and avoid being distracted, avoid being, um, being, as I say, distracted by things that aren't relevant to the task at hand. And that's what we do at the Page Education Foundation. And I should just tell you, though, the, the foundation, we started back in 1988, Diane and I, as a result of my being inducted into the Hall of Fame, I thought, you know, there has to be more, and as great as it is to be inducted, there has to be more to it than that. And so we thought, well, maybe we could use that celebrity that comes from that to um, help others have the same kind of opportunities that we had in life. And so we uh, started the foundation with two things in mind, one, providing financial assistance, and two, to young men and women of color here in Minnesota to go to post-secondary education, and two, requiring our grant recipients, we call them paid scholars, required them, requiring them to work with young children, kindergarten through eighth grade as tutors, mentors, and role models sending the strong, clear message that education is a tool that those young children can use to achieve their hopes and dreams. And they do that by word and by deed because they are actually using education while they're sending that message. Now, <clears throat> these page scholars, do you open that up and people apply or do you select them? How do you go about finding them? We have an application process. Um, Typically, we get uh, a thousand, maybe twelve hundred uh, applications a year. The applications have been down a little bit since the pandemic, but um, our grants are renewable on an annual basis. Uh, and our our we let's say we call them paid scholars. Our scholars go to uh, the University of Minnesota, public and private colleges and universities, uh, community colleges, technical schools, almost any accredited program here in Minnesota. If, if a program will take you, we will uh, consider you for a grant. 
Our goal is to pull people along, not to filter them out. And we're pretty proud of the work that our scholars do. At the end of the day, they're the ones that really are changing the future. And uh, we get pretty excited about that. And do you have a, a, some kind of an event every year where, you, where they all come together and they can meet each other? Or We have um, um, not an orientation, but a, a recognition ceremony each year when we uh, our new group uh, and then we have a um, an orientation if you will orientation slash seminar where we bring every everybody together so we have those two events and then we have several um, things that we do to uh, raise funds to support the foundation and we bring them there also and how many students now have received grants since the uh, beginning of the foundation? Uh, something over 8,000. Wow. And they've received something in excess of $16 million in grants. Wow. Over the years. And, and the, donors, we, the donors are local to Minnesota, or do they come from all over the country? We have... They're primarily Minnesota, but we have donors from all over. And out of all those students, can you tell us one story about one of your scholars and where they were and where they uh, we got one minute left and we got to go to break. Uh, maybe what we'll do is we'll roll this over to the uh, to the next segment. But I'd like to hear one story about one of your students that you can think about that you can tell us and where they are today. Sure. So we'll come right back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, retired Minnesota State Supreme Court Associate Justice Alan Page. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast on iHeartRadio Radio, or TuneIn Radio. And after we're done, you can go anywhere and subscribe to the podcast at TheMentorsRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Minnesota State Supreme Court Justice and National Football League Hall of Famer, Alan Page. We're talking about the future of America and the importance of a good education for all. And when we close the last segment, we're talking about some of the scholars. And rather than one, just give us a, an idea of where they've all ended up. And you did mention to me during the break that you had quite a few actually end up at Notre Dame, which I obviously extremely you know, it's go Irish, right? Go Irish. We have a program with the Notre Dame Club of Minnesota where we uh, have about four or five different paid scholars at the university. We're pretty proud of them, too. Our scholars are everywhere. We run into them constantly. They uh, practice law. They are nurses. They are technicians. I mean, they are literally everywhere. One, uh, I will just, I mean, it, it's unfair to talk about anyone, how proud of them they are, because we're proud of all of them. But one in particular is a young man who uh, started with us and was a pay scholar for 11 years. 
ended up getting his PhD at the University of Minnesota. And along the way, I served just before, before I joined the court, I served on the University of Minnesota's Board of Regents. This particular paid scholar, uh, the, the board has the student regent. He ended up serving as a student regent in a sense, following in my footsteps. That was uh, pretty rewarding because that's the potential that these young people that we that we serve have. I mean, they've got more potential than we give them credit for. And uh, it's been, it's been very rewarding. And, and before we uh, scoot along here, what, when the work that you've done with the foundation, how has that shaped your thoughts uh, about young kids and where things are and where they're going? Well, I have spent, almost from the time I started playing football as a high school freshman in schools and classrooms, talking to young people about the importance and value of education. And I concluded that every child has the ability to learn. Every child should have the opportunity to learn. And quite frankly, those of us who are adults today, we have failed children. There are far many, too, far too many children being left behind by our education system, and um, it strikes me that that failure is is going to come back to bite us in the long run because we can't continue to leave whether they're students of color, whether they're poor white students, and those are the ones being left behind. As a, as a society and as a country, we can't afford to leave the, you know, 30 to 40% of the young people behind. But yet we are doing that. So I've got two questions and then we're going to let you go. Uh, number one, are you familiar with the work of Clayton Christensen who wrote the book uh, Disrupting Class? I am not. Maybe it's something I should should become familiar with. And he formed an institute out here in California at Clayton, I think it's called the Christensen Institute. Uh, he's a very, very famous Harvard professor. I got to know him, just a wonderful human being. And he, in the last decade of his life, he was very ill. But he had two things that he focused on, the delivery of healthcare and the delivery of education. And one of the things when I was doing some prep on you, you were talking about how children learn differently. And this is one of the big things that Clayton Christensen was talking about, about how children learn differently and how we have a production line. And as a result, we lose uh, a lot of st students along the way. Absolutely. We need to we need to meet children where they are and help them grow from there, as opposed to trying to stamp them out on that production line. Uh, Clayton Christensen, you can look him up, and it's uh, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-T-E-N-S-E-N. -E 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 You'd be familiar with that. That's a, kind of a spelling of a Christensen you'd find in Minnesota for sure. And the I, last I question know, is. I, I know some of those people with that spelling. 
<laughs> the last thing is uh, my daughter was an inner school teacher down in UCLA. And the one thing she always talked about was how important the family was and what was going on at home in terms of education. Maybe you could just a final comment on that. Well, let me just say families play a big role and it's they're important, but not every child lives in the, you know, a productive family and or a, a stable family. And simply because children live in uh, difficult circumstances doesn't mean we can leave them behind. We have to meet those children where they are, too, and they can learn and they can grow and they can tr- contribute to us and we can break the cycle. That's great. Thank you very much. And before you go, uh, Mike McCoy, if you could pop in here, you can say hi to Justice Page, the two uh, NFL greats from Notre Dame. Uh, there's Mike, maybe, and I'll introduce Mike in a second, and then we'll let uh, Justice Page go. But maybe you'd like to just say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great, Alan. Enjoyed what you had to say. And, uh, you know, I've been speaking a long time like you have, and uh, what you're saying is right on. And, uh, I do remember my freshman year trying to block you, getting ready for the Purdue game when you're a defensive end. And uh, Joe Yanta was yelling at you, and you got really mad at me because I was doing a trap play, and I'll never forget that. (laughs) I wasn't really mad at you. I was probably mad at him. (laughs) Yeah, or or Johnny Ray. (laughs) Exactly. And the two of you probably don't know this, but Joe Yanta was the football coach at my high school up in Notre Dame, Niles. Oh, yeah, I do know that. So I know uh, Justice Page has to leave. I want to thank you very much for your time and for your insights. And we're going to switch gears now. And we're going to talk to Mike McCoy, who played defensive tackle as well. And he was a consensus All-American at Notre Dame a top Heisman candidate and had an 11 year career with the, in the national football league playing for the green Bay Packers, where he was a first round draft pick. He played for the Raiders out here, the giants and the lions. And, uh, I noticed in the prep I did, you played for John Matten, who I know he was a member of our church out here. And I know John and Virginia very well, primarily through Dave Casper, who both of you probably know. So today, Mike is the president of Mike McCoy Ministries, which focuses on empowering youth to develop a greater vision. And he primarily works with students in Catholic schools. And Mike, tell us a little bit about your, your going into this field of the work that you're doing with students. What was the catalyst for that? Well, I think the catalyst was a long time ago when uh, I st- I, we had a move in with my grandparents when I was in like third or fourth grade because my dad made some bad decisions, unfortunately. And having that culture that I grew up with, the Polish family, and my grandfather came over from Poland in 1908 to avoid the Russian army when he was 18 years old. He got sponsored in Erie, Pennsylvania, and that's how I arrived. So I had a really good character upbringing. You know, if I had, if I swore twice, my mother would eat, let me spit in, the, spit in a can until I couldn't talk anymore. So I had some very great experiences. And then when I went off to high school, went to Cathedral Club High School in Erie, Pennsylvania, my high school football coach is Tony Zambrowski, and he played for Frank Leahy. So what I learned at prep, uh, the discipline, the morality, the faith, friendship, the importance of making good decisions at prep really was laying the groundwork, I think, for what I was doing later on. And also the fact that I played at Notre Dame and had that platform and also in the NFL. So when that time came to say, you know, what I wanted to do after football, because uh, we played 11 years in the NFL and I worked every off season. And 1985, I was in a little community outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. And my daughter came home, my oldest daughter, Molly, who's now, I don't know, 
40, whatever, <laughs> 40, 48, 47. And she told me what was going on in the school, in the public school. And I thought I was in, you know, the I- idyllic area to grow a family in a small town. And I kind of sat back and you had that epiphany in life. You say, you know, what can I do about that? You know, it was the mid 80s. Uh, we went through some tough times in the 60s and the 70s and the drug culture was starting to take over and the culture was starting to decline. And, and I think everybody who grew up in the 80s was starting to see that. And uh, we're still unfortunately bearing fruits with that today. So I just kind of prayed and I said, you know, what direction do I go in? And um, I was involved in the investment business at the time and had a few other things I was doing after football. And I got a phone call from a man and I, he was starting an organization called Sports World and he was taking the platform of the former NFL player into, into public schools, doing assemblies, making the right choices, uh, talking about our faith. Um, and so we, there were four or five of us that joined that staff. Um, my wife went to work and to help support that and uh, I took about a 50% pay cut. And you know, obviously we prayed about that and, that was, and I went full-time in 1986. So we not only did public schools, but I also started the Catholic school division, taking that platform of the Notre Dame into that Catholic school division. So that's kind of the impetus of, of how I started and where I am today. We're going to come back in a few minutes, uh, continue talking with our guest mentor, former 11-year NFL defensive lineman and now mentor to thousands of students across America, Mike McCoy. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I am with former Notre Dame and NFL great Mike McCoy, who now heads Mike McCoy Ministries, focused on working with Catholic students across America. His programs... His programs include values and the worth of the parent, the person through God's eyes, and decisions determine our destiny. So tell us about the ministry. Um, well, first of all, one question. How sure. did Notre Dame shape you and playing football at Notre Dame shape you? Well, you know, I went to an all-boys Catholic school, Cathedral Prep in Erie, and Arrow was just taking over. So my freshman year was 1966. And so I visited Indiana, I visited Penn State, and I visited Syracuse, and I visited Notre Dame. And when I met Eric Segan and what Alan was saying, you know, you could just tell he was a class act and that he, he knew how to coach men and he knew how to take voice to men in, in his background and what he represented. And so when I met him, I said, you know, this is the place for me. And, you know, at the time, Notre Dame was like five or 6,000 students. So being an all-boys school was a natural was a natural one for me. So when I went, went there, and I think Alan was saying about friends, developed a lot of great friends there and the teachers I had and the mentors I had and Coach Johnny Ray and Joe Yanto and how they uh, inputted my life into uh, – you know, going the right direction. You know, we all make mistakes in life, but they were uh, they were uh, just super understanding of where I came from and uh, some of the things that I went through with an alcoholic dad. And uh, so they they were able to deal a lot with that. And they, they and plus the fact that I was at a school at that time that was very faith based, as as I was and as I am today. So all those all those morality and all those characteristics and and uh, never give up type of qualities uh, really shaped shaped me and what I'm doing the rest of my life. Mariera had one one great phrase. He says, there's no circumstances that we cannot overcome. And we meant the team, the coaches. And you take that one phrase and you can apply that to all your life. And then he used to put up a fist like this. He said, a fist 
with five fingers and a thumb. I guess we all have five fingers and a thumb crossed and a fist made like this. It's hard to break. And so he's talking about team unity and everybody pulling in the same direction and no one getting one, you know, one, one credit. It was a team credit. So that whole team concept was very, very important. So one of the things I heard you say and I heard Alan say is you meet people where they're at. It's a, it's a little bit like St. Francis. I think that was his program. Yeah. Meet people where you're at. That's what I hear. They met you where you're at. Alan talked about meeting the students where they're at. I'm sure that echoes with what the work you're doing. Let's talk about that because that's really where we want to spend the time is on the ministry. Tell us right. how many schools do you usually visit in a year? Uh, probably, you know, before the, before, the, before the pandemic, we would go out and we would maybe do about 18 cities. Um, in our in our schedule in the fall and the spring, and in each city we would do anywhere from uh, seven to eight school assemblies. And grades three through five is the value and worth of a person through God's eyes. And then grades six through twelve is decisions to determine our destiny. But I think also what helped me with where, the, where I am with the ministry that I started ten or eleven years ago was I was on staff for nineteen years with Bill Glass Ministries. Bill used to play in the NFL. He had a prison ministry, so I got involved in that as one of the staff people and learning from him and his board and getting uh, getting involved in that. And then also heading up the Catholic division, still still speaking in, in schools and training NFL players on how to speak in public and in Catholic schools. So when that time came to an end about 2008, um, with that pandemic, with the downturn we had, yeah, they basically cut staff by 60% in two weeks because their funding as a 501c was going down. So I asked myself the critical question at the 60, what, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And it became very clear to me at that time is to form my own ministries called Mike McCoy Ministries. And our mission statement is to reach students in Catholic schools because every student who's in a Catholic school uh, is not Catholic with the message of faith, hope, and encouragement. And we do that through the two programs. So, you know, over the years, you know, we had to keep the data because you have to be accountable to your board, to your donors. Um, I think with the last 11 years with Mike McCoy Ministries, we probably have spoken live to about 190,000 students in uh, grade schools and high, in Catholic high schools. Wow. And I only do Catholic schools now. I used to do a lot of public schools, but you can't talk about God anymore. I mean, you can talk about any, everything else, the gender ideology, um, the trans and all the things that we're facing in our culture today. But uh, the, the, the God thing is gone, it's gone in public schools for the most part. So I said, you know, let me go into an area where they're, they're still teaching about faith and they're still teaching about God and who Jesus Christ is. So I've been focusing on that. And so the last 11 years, we've been able to do that. And then in our, in our program with Grace 3 through 5, what I've been finding is that these young people don't know who they are. You know, they're always, we're always searching for our identity. And uh, so through the culture, they're getting mixed messages of who they are. And of course, you know, with uh, with our culture today and the world it is today, faith is becoming irrelevant to the general culture, not the individuals. And so they're hearing that message that, you know, God isn't real, or God is dead, and, you know, faith isn't real, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and maybe you've got this feeling or that feeling. And so we, we go back to say, you know, who you are in Christ, that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He made you male and female. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. We're made in God's image and likeness. And he, and he does have that plan and purpose for our life. But there's a lot of obstacles out there. So we talk about the obstacles. So I incorporate that type of message, not only in grades three through five, but grades six through 12. And briefly, you've got elements to the program. You give a talk. 
you you have, tell us about the cards. Tell us about the proverb yeah. club. We've got about a minute left in the segment. Okay. So what we do is uh, six through twelve. We have comic cards and feedback time. And on that card, we ask for their name. What do they think about the program? Uh, did they open their heart to Christ? What's one thing holding you back from being what you want to be? And that's where the number four comes in. And because I do read some student comments about suicide and depression and anxiety and stress, we're seeing a great increase in that over the last two years. And the comments that I'm seeing in the middle school is almost the comments I'm seeing in high school four or five years ago as far as the problems they're facing. And uh, then the fifth one is the Book of Proverbs Club. Uh, St. Jerome says, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. When we read God's Word, He speaks to our heart. And so I started a book of Proverbs Club. It's 30 chapters. You read one a night, and God's going to challenge you, and he's also going to speak to your heart. So I started that program across. Well, we're going to have to, we got to go to break, and we'll be right back and talk some more about the program. We're here with uh, uh, former 11-year NFL defensive lineman and now mentor to thousands of students, Mike McCoy. You'll find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I am with college football and NFL great Mike McCoy, who now heads Mike McCoy Ministries, who's focused on empowering Catholic students across America. So we were talking about the uh, day and we're talking about the cards and you collect a lot of information. Mm -hmm. I know you do some one-on-one counseling. Uh, but why don't we talk a little bit about some of the things you're seeing with the kids today with regards to social media, cell phones, and who they are, uh, who they share their confidences with? Yeah, you know, when I do the cards, I collect that data as much as I can, and whoever shares on that data, I have it, and a lot of it's confidential. But over the last uh, 11 years, we had over 200, 420 students contemplating suicide, hundreds and hundreds of depression stress and anxiety and the big one is social media or telephone uh they know they're they're addicted to it we know it changes the brain patterns on these games and they do and they're starting to see especially in these middle school students starting to see what's going on and i had one student saying that uh, i need to quit talking to some men online so there's a lot of dangerous things out wow. there and they, they they text each other they twitter each other and they poller each other and they don't they don't share with their counselors they don't share it with their parents uh, because this culture has told them that your friends are, are important to you and so they don't have the development brain power the development right now to handle the stress if you got stress and conflict at home how are you going to study and so we tried to deal with those problems so they're freed up because one of the things i say is that you know how would you feel uh, if, if these if these conflict wasn't wasn't with you next week, you know how would you feel and how would you act and how how would that help your life? And so they start sharing those things and then we network back with the counselors, obviously in the schools with the with the stuff, the sexual abuse, the problems at home, uh, any type of thing like that because by law we have to. Now you mentioned and something I was doing on uh, prepping for the show uh, that there were many more counselors in the Catholic schools than there were in the public schools. Yeah, well, uh, right now the Catholic schools are, are, are just starting to to hire more counselors in the last two years because they're seeing they're overwhelmed with the gender ideology, the culture, the pressure, the stress that's happening uh, because of our culture and what we're seeing in America today. Instead of turning back to faith, we're turning back to secularism, and that's that's really destroying a lot of young people's lives. Well, I mentioned to you my son-in-law who has a 
very strong interest in working with kids in high school. And he said that in the work he's done, there's one counselor for every three or 400 students in a public school right. today. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about what's going on, one person, you know, back in the day when I went to a Catholic high school, everybody had a counselor. And maybe the counselor had three or four people that he dealt with, but uh, there were the teachers and the priests. So it's right. a real vacuum. That, that, that changed in the last 15 or 20 years. Now it's coming back to more counselors because of what's happening to these young people. And you have a great story that I want you to share with the audience, and that's the one about Orchard Park, New York, and your work. Yeah, I was sponsored by the Notre Dame Club of Orchard Park years ago, and I went to a middle school, and I did my program. These are junior, this is middle school kids, and I collect the cards, and I put them in a box, and I go back to my hotel room, and I look at them, and this one popped out, and it says, Mike, he says, he says, this, this one card popped out. He says, I smoke and drink almost every weekend, and I cut myself, and I try to, and I try to commit suicide twice. I said, okay. So I called the sister back and I said, here's this young lady's name. Here's what she said. I can't judge whether it's real or not. And she said, well, Mike, you know, she's really a nice young lady. I don't think there's any problems. So I said, well, you've got to call her parents by law. So I gave her the card, called the parents. Parents are, were corporate attorneys, I think, or, or in, the, in the business world for 48, 50 hours a week. And uh, son of a gun, she was experiencing those problems. And so they're able to do an intervention in this young person's life and do uh, counseling and with the family. And uh, she ended up graduating from a Catholic school in Buffalo, you know, four, four years later. Okay. Uh, we're about ready to close out. I've got one last question for you and all that your success and all the people you've crossed in life. What uh, is it that you see in other people that brings the greatest joy and happiness in life? Well, I think uh, basically how they conduct their own personal life and uh, how they react to people and how they react to different situations. And, and we all have different, have, we all have audibles in life and how you handle those things. And, you know, for me, it's been uh, my faith. It's been my aspect of uh, uh, learning different things through NFL Chapel and my faith and coming to an understanding that uh, I needed to make a decision. You know, John Paul II says, do not fear, open your heart to Christ. Conversion is a personal decision, accepting the saving grace of Christ and becoming his follower. So when I finally realized that I can't please God, no matter what I do, I can't earn, I can't buy it, and I don't deserve it, and it's un his love is unconditional. So when you have that unconditional love, and as you know, the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. So we trespass and we need to forgive others because God has forgiven us, and that gives us the freedom that we have. Well, thank you very much. And that's, uh, we're going to have to close out. It was a great uh, interview with you and Alan. Uh, that's it till next week. We're out of time. We've been talking with National Football League and University of Notre Dame football greats Mike McCoy and retired state Supreme Court Justice Alan Page about their personal investment into the time empowering children for all that to be all they can be the best investment anyone can make in the future of America. Go Irish. We will be posting links for both Mike McCoy Ministries and the Page Foundation to our website, TheMentorsRadio.com. Make it easy on yourself and subscribe to future shows while you're there. You can listen to us online, any device, anytime, on any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. 
The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.